Can I just say wow for a minute? That's good stuff, was it not? And that's what this whole sermon series we're starting this morning is about. It's about finding and celebrating freedom. So take your Bible this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 25. It's the first book in the Bible. Go to chapter 25. We're going to weave through about eight chapters this morning, but we're going to stay in these eight chapters really for the next four weeks. And so it's going to be like drinking out of a fire hydrant for a few minutes. Uh, We're going to learn some things, apply some things, grow in some things. But hopefully as God begins to speak to you as we study the life of Jacob, it would make a profound impact uh, over the next three or four weeks. Now, when I was a kid, my parents... Uh, Send me to school like you send your kids to school. And I don't know if the teachers there were trying to teach us a lesson or not, but they decided to give us a tour of the local sheriff's department. And it was uh, in Walton County, and if you've ever been a resident of the current sheriff's department, it was different then. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it was a smaller, it was, it was a small county, small community at that time growing up. It was a smaller jail, but it was one of the stereotypical jails that you see on TV. Had the actual bars, you know, like in the Wild West tales. It, uh, was really, really dilapidated, really, really gross, kind of more like a dungeon. And so we took a tour of the sheriff's department, met the sheriff, saw some deputies, somebody had a gun, woo, all that stuff, got our fingerprints, all those things. And finally, it's like, do y'all want to see where we keep the prisoners? And I don't know why we were all like, yeah, but all of us went, yeah. So we went and we walked by the guys who were actually in the prison cells and they were saying things to us that I didn't understand, praise the Lord, at that moment. Um, we went down and they said, hey, we've got an open jail cell, would you like to see inside? Why we said yes, I don't know, but we decided, okay, let's go look inside of the jail cell. We walked in, and it was just a cement compartment, bars on the wall, things written on the wall. I didn't understand, thank God again. All those things, just nasty, damp, awful, dark, all those things. And we walk in, and all the kids are looking at it, trying to read the words on the wall, and somebody's laughing. And all. It's just one of those moments. We didn't notice the teacher slip out, and all of a sudden, they slammed the prison door. Freaked us out. I mean, we're seven, six years old, and we are losing our minds inside of the prison cell. And we get to the door, and I mean, I mean, guys, I'm not kidding you. Kids with five years old going into full-blown panic attacks. It was unbelievable, banging on the door, let us out. I mean, it was awful. But the more, it didn't matter how hard we beat on the door, it wasn't going to come down. Nothing. We were trapped there unless by somebody's good grace on the other side let us out. They let us out when we were 10, so it worked out for us. But here's the deal. Do you ever feel like that in your life? We started this series called Strongholds. Every person on this planet has one. In fact, every person on this planet has several. These are things in our life, no matter how hard we beat on the door, how hard we pray, how hard we begin to wrestle through this stuff, it just doesn't seem to go away. Y'all with me on that? They're just there. They're there when we wake up. They're there when we go to bed. The things we struggle with, the thoughts inside of our head, all those things. And so, For the next four weeks, starting this morning, we're going to wrestle through strongholds by studying the life of Jacob, a man who had several strongholds, and how he overcame them, how he wrestled with them, how he fought them off, how they captured them again, and how God was ultimately able to do something in his life in spite of these strongholds. And so what we're going to study is several things. Next week, we're going to deal with the strongholds in our life because of the things we do. Basically, we call that sin, right? And every one of us has those things, right? Things we're ashamed of, things we've done wrong, or things that people have done to us. We're going to talk about how to get through those. Then we're going to deal with something that's not your fault. Nobody, it's not your fault you have the family that you have. Your family of origin, for many people in this room, is a stronghold. Would you all agree? There are things that you learned growing up, things that they did, things that they still do. 
that can become a serious stronghold for us. Jacob dealt with that. And then we're going to learn how to achieve victory and continue victory in that in our last message. But this morning, we're going to deal with something very close to home. And it's the stronghold that you and I have because we are the way we are. You have a stronghold. I have a stronghold because we're just us. I'll give you some examples. Nobody taught you to be impulsive. You were just born that way, right? And it's a stronghold. You can't seem to stop. Nobody taught you how to have a hot temper. You just had one. You were born that way. From the moment you got in that crib, you just got mad. And it's something you can't seem to get over, and you hate that about yourself. And the stronghold can go on and on and on and on. There's several things that we could define and list out for us. And we're not going to be exhaustive in our explanation or in our solution this morning. But what we are going to do is try to give you some type of hope that you can overcome these strongholds in your life. But you have to face them. You have to deal with them. And ultimately, Christ has to do something. You have to allow him to do something. So as you look at Genesis chapter 25, we're going to begin to see the making of a stronghold in Jacob's life. And then we're going to see how he begins to overcome that personal stronghold. Y'all with me on this, right? This is the stronghold of how you think about yourself. This is the stronghold of the issues you seem to can't ever get rid of because you are the way you are. So let's get in to investigate this and understand what's happening. Genesis chapter 25. And we're going to be, um, if I can get my thumbs over there, we're going to start in verse 19. Notice what happens here. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Now, let's stop here. Let me give you a little context. Abraham is the patriarch of the Jewish people. God chose him. God led him to the promised land, and he made Abraham two promises. And he said this, number one, you're going to be a great nation one day. There's going to be more people in your family than there are sand on the seashore. And that becomes the Jewish people and the establishment of Israel. But the second promise he made Abraham, he says, through your lineage, through your seed, I'm going to bless all nations. Now, nations is interpreted as races and culture. So even if you're not Jewish, the blessing is that through the Jewish people, God provides the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he promises that if you ask him to come into your life, he'll forgive you for what you've done, do, and will do. So he blesses all nations. You follow me on that? But there's a problem. Abraham's wife, Sarah, can't have a child. And so at the young age of 100, God says, Sarah's going to have a baby. Now, aren't you glad God doesn't do that anymore? Can I have a witness, amen, whatever it may be? I don't know what to say on that moment. But I'm 42, and I don't ever want to change another diaper again. I just want to make that clear. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Abraham, his wife Sarah, at about 98, 100 years old, has a baby, and his name is Isaac. Isaac goes back to the land that they came from and gets a wife, and her name's Rebecca. The problem is Rebecca can't have kids either. And so we're going to pick up at that point in the message, in that point of the story, in Genesis chapter 25. So let's notice what happens here. Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. Now I want you to notice verse 22 here. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Let me pause here, and let's leave that verse on the screen. I, I've never been pregnant. I don't know if that surprises you, but I've never never been pregnant. But many of you have. Many of you are currently pregnant. Uh, and as we read from the text, there's obviously two babies or twins there in the womb. And the thing about River Hills, if you've been around for a while, you'll notice we have an unusual uh, group, or not a group, a, a large group of twins in this church. There's a lot of twins here, so don't drink the water. 
Here's the thing. Here's what's interesting about this, though. I can imagine watching my wife and knowing many of you, childbirth is not a pleasant experience. I'm just going to guess for a moment. But not only that, being pregnant in the summertime in Georgia is not, an unpleasant, is not a pleasant experience either. Am I right, ladies? Now, here's the thing. I want you to notice this, though. This is a little more than Braxton Hicks. This is a little more than contractions. This is a little more than morning sickness. It says this, the babies jostled each other within her, meaning they were fighting. This wasn't just like they were active. You drank some caffeine and it rolled around like an alien was pulling itself around your belly. These babies were going at it. And so it's, it's obvious to me the only person that can answer why is this happening would be God. So she goes to God and said, Lord, why is this happening? Now, I want you to notice what happens in verse 23. It sets up the foundation for everything. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, this counteracts everything in Jewish culture because the younger child always serves and gets less than the older child. You follow me on that? If you're the oldest child in Jewish culture, Especially if you're a male, you are set. You get a double portion from the inheritance than the rest of the children. You're the chosen one. You get the family farm. You get the family goat. You get the family cow. You get the family cat. You get the family dog. You get the family. Follow that? You got it. But God says something here, and he says the older one will serve the younger. That's not going to happen in this case, guys. So notice what happens here. She has babies. Get this. Verse 24, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. We kind of assumed that, right? The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, which is Hebrew for that baby is ugly. <laughs> That's not, he's red, okay? <laughs> it means hairy. And later on, they're going to call him Edom, which is red. But I thought that was appropriate as well, don't you? Keep reading. Verse 26, after this, his brother came out. Now, here's what's strange here. They had been fighting inside the room. His brother came out, and it says that his hand was grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old, and Rebekah gave birth to them. Now, let's deal with this for a moment. When they named a baby, they gave it a name that had identity. There was meaning behind this. You follow that? And so Esau, his name is Harry. That would be horrible. Like, you're the hairy kid. Yeah, we remember you. You were a werewolf and all that stuff. But something worse is Jacob. Jacob means heel grabber, which means trickster, which means liar, which means opportunist, which means deceiver. And from the moment he's born, he's known as a person that can't be trusted. His identity is liar. And he lives up to it. Notice what happens next. We're going to read one occasion. And so we're just going to continue to follow this. Verse 27. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter. A man, of the open, a man of the open country while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved uh, Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now you see that problem there. One parent's favoring one child and another parent's favoring the other child. You see that? We're going to deal with that in two weeks. Don't miss that because uh, there are some serious strongholds in our life because of issues like that. And if you are a parent that favors your children, here's, here's the best word I can give you. Shame on you. 
That's not God's plan here. You're going to see the destructive pattern in a few moments. Verse 29. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. He was famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why they call him Edom. Jacob replied, now here's the opportunist. Here's the deceiver. Here's the trickster. Notice what he says here. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. What a jerk. I mean, Esau comes in from the field. He's been hunting all day. He's exhausted. He's at the point of death. He wants something to eat. You know, Jacob's been cooking all day. He comes in and says, brother, just give me something to eat. Save my life. And he goes, not until you sell me your birthright, which means instead of you getting the double portion from mom and dad, I'll get the double portion from mom and dad. If you want to live, you give me your birthright. What a jerk. What a deceiver, right? What a, what a trickster. Now read a little further. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. And Esau despised his birthright. Jacob is living up to his name, right? Later on in Scripture in chapter 27, to summarize, we don't have a lot of time to read through that, because Rebekah favored Jacob so much and Isaac favored Esau, Esau was told by Isaac, go out into the wilderness, kill some game, prepare it, bring it to me to eat, and I will bless you. To put his blessing on it means that I want God's blessing to be all over you. It's not the same thing as a birthright. And so Esau leaves, and he goes out into the wilderness to hunt the game. Rebekah hears this, and because she loves Isaac, she goes to Isaac and says, I'm going to prepare a meal for your dad, the thing that he loves, the thing that Esau prepares for him, and I want you to go put some of Esau's clothes on so you'll smell like him, and we're going to put some fur on your arms so that it feels like fur because your dad's blind, he can't see, so he's going to smell Esau, he's going to feel Esau, but he's going to bless Isaac. So they did that. He goes into the tent with his father, he deceives his father, and his father blesses Isaac. So he learned deception again from his mother. Isaac blesses Jacob. Esau comes in and finds out that this has happened, and he swears that one day he's going to kill Jacob. And Jacob's mom, Rebecca, comes to him and says, you need to go back to my hometown and get away because your brother is going to kill you when your father dies. He's on his deathbed. You follow that so far? Then later on in Scripture, when Jacob finally has a family of his own, he's living with his father-in-law, the Bible says that he tricks his father-in-law. This is a pattern in his life. Now, here's my question to you guys. Do you have these types of patterns, patterns that you wish that you could break out from, strongholds in your life that give you complete identity? Because Jacob in this moment is known as the deceiver, as the liar, as the trickster. Here's my question to you as, as we pause for a moment. In your own mind, what is your name? Not the name on your birth certificate or your nickname, what do you call yourself? Think about this for a moment. Do you look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, I'm ugly? Do you think about your own life and say, I'm unworthy? Do you look and say, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an idiot, I'm stupid. I can't achieve anything, I'm a reject. I can't seem to get things right. Or maybe it's something, I'm a sinner because I, I'm a cheater. I've done this in the past. It's the identity that you give yourself. 
See, I really believe that all of us in this room, the strongholds begin in how we think about ourselves, and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, I am Jacob. Y'all with me on this? I am unfit. I'm unworthy. So how do we wrestle beyond this? How do we begin to overcome our name? I want you to go to Genesis chapter 32. This is kind of where I wanted to end the whole series, but this is such an important part of the story that I want to hit it the first Sunday we deal with strongholds. Because we see God begin to do something in Jacob's life. Now, God has already promised him blessing, and he's done that. God has already promised him uh, several things. And, and Jacob has really started to turn his life around and get away from that identity as being Jacob, as being a deceiver. But the thing is, Jacob is forced to go home. And when he's forced to go home, he's forced to face Esau. He's forced to face his past. Now, when we have to face our strongholds, would y'all agree that those strongholds and facing those strongholds present a lot of fear in our life? Y'all with me on that? I mean, I got to go deal with this, and I don't want to deal with this. This is hard. This is harmful. This is scary. God may be calling me to, calling, calling me to change something. And the thing is that when we face these strongholds, fear begins to erupt, and it causes us to experience some sort of spiritual paralysis. You with me so far? Now, here we are. Jacob has to face Esau. At this point, he has 11 sons, several wives, but specifically Leah and Rachel. He has great possession. God has blessed him. He has herds. He has servants. He has goats. He has cattle. He has camels. He has all this stuff. He is a wealthy man, and he's coming home. And word comes to him and says, your brother is coming with a group of men that are much powerful than him, and he's coming to meet you. So this absolutely freaks Jacob out. You with me on this? Because now he's got to face his past. He's got to go and really go back to the life that he thought he left. He's got to deal with his disposition one more time. He's got to deal with his personality flaw. And so the Bible says this in verse 32. And I want you to notice this. He's about to meet Esau the next day. And that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabuk. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob was left alone. Now stop here. It's when we're alone that those strongholds present itself the most. It's in the, and you got to think, Jacob is in the middle of the night. The next day he's got to face Esau. He may die. The last time he talked to Esau, Esau was like, I will kill you. You deceiver, you liar, you trickster. You've taken my birthright. You've taken my blessing. You're a dead man. Here's the deal. To begin to face the strongholds in our lives, first and foremost, we have to be honest with ourselves that they're there. We have to face it. And so many times, instead of facing the stronghold, we cope with the stronghold. Now, there are coping things that you do, but, but, but what I mean is we mask it, we cope it, we drink it away, we medicate it away, we do all types of things to deal with it. We become the class clown, we lie more, we pray more, but the stronghold is still there. You with me on this? Now, here's the thing with Jacob in these moments, in the weird hours of the night, he's having to face his past. He's having to be honest with himself. And I want you to notice what the Bible says. And if you don't catch anything else this morning, catch these next few minutes because this is incredible. 
This is the gospel, and this is where you see Jesus start to work. Read what happens next. Now, guys, I'm going to stop. I'm so, I'm so fired about, about this series and about this passage here because I really believe if you begin to tap into what God has for you here, there is freedom that you get to experience because that's what we want. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be overnight. But I would be willing to bet every person on this, in this room and every person on this planet wants freedom from strongholds. Agreed? I hate my thoughts. I hate my identity. Do y'all? But get this. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. In verse 24, so Jacob was left alone. And get this, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, we know in just a moment this is God. This is Jesus. You're going to read this in just a moment. But I want you to think about what he's wrestling here for a moment. And think about all the anxieties and the panic that's in front of him. He's got to cross the stream with his 11 sons, with his wives, with his servants, with his possessions, and face his past, and he's about to lose everything. This stronghold in his life, this, this stronghold that caused him to sin, that created another stronghold because of his family of origin, another stronghold, you get all that, it's just he's about to lose it all. All of his kids are going to be killed. All of his flocks are going to be taken. He's going to die all by his brother's hand. I can't imagine the weight that he's dealing with at this moment. And it says in this text that he wrestles. In those moments when we have to face our past and face our strongholds and be honest with ourselves, it's a fight. Would y'all agree? I don't want to think like this anymore, but I can't stop it. And the harder we punch, the more we sink our arms into the quicksand and we can't keep going. It's a fight. And I want you to notice what Jacob does. He wrestles with him, he fights with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as, a, as he wrestled with a man. Now I want you to just pause here. Can God beat Jacob one-on-one? Everybody say yes. Okay. He had the power to bring us into the world. He has the power to take us out of the world. However, in our own hearts, in our own minds, and as we wrestle with different strongholds in our life, sometimes God doesn't come in and heal it until we're able to give it over to him. Until we say, God, take this. I'm opening this place up in my life, and you begin. I'm wrestling with you. I'm fighting with you, and I don't want to let it go. I'm just going to keep holding on to it. It's kind of like we're drinking poison to solve the problem, and it's not doing anything but making it worse, right? And so Jacob's wrestling. He refuses to give up. God's not overcoming him, so God breaks him just like that. He touches the socket of his hip, and he's just left at that moment just holding on to the Lord, refusing to let go of the stronghold. Now, when we experience brokenness because of strongholds, don't let the stronghold get stronger. You hear that? All of us in this room, as we deal with our strongholds, we're broken by them. Don't, not, don't, don't let that brokenness keeping you, keep you from finding that healing that Christ offers. You hear me? Notice what happens. He's wrestling with a man. The man touches the socket of his hip. Now get this. Then the man said to Jacob in verse 26, let me go for it's daybreak. And in my mind, if I'm just picturing God and him wrestling, I picture I picture Jacob just holding on to God's heel, just like he did Esau, right? Because that's who he is. He's a heel grabber. He's a trickster. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 27. He says, uh, or verse 26, I'm sorry. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. This is Jacob. He's taking opportunity again. He's saying, 
unless you bless me, I'm not going to let you go. Unless you bless me, I'm going to cling to you. I'm not letting go. I'm not going to stop because this is who I am. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the deceiver. I'm Jacob. What happens next in verse 27 is beautiful. Because God looks at him and says this. The man asks him, what's your name? Does God know your name? Yes. Did he know Jacob's name? Absolutely. Why do you ask that question? Because when you're honest with yourself, you're honest about your stronghold. And Jacob looks at him and it's like, what's your name? I'm Jacob. I'm the liar. I'm the heel grabber. That's me. I'm the deceiver. I'm the trickster. In your stronghold, what's your name? What, what's your name? Until we are able to face it, we're never going to be able to let it go. Now, next is awesome. And this is what I want to get to, verse 28. Because God does something here that's amazing. Because God says, your name will no longer be Jacob. This is the blessing that he gives. But Israel. God says, I'm changing your name. You are no longer the trickster, the deceiver, the liar, the opportunist. You're Israel. Which means God has chosen you. God is fighting for you. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and, has over, and have overcome, I want the world to know that I have chosen you and I am fighting for you. Isn't that beautiful? See, this is the gospel in its purest sense because what's happening in our lives, we have these strongholds and we're clinging to them, we're fighting God on them, we're grabbing the heel and we're refusing to let go. And God just says, what's your name? What's your name? Well, I'm a liar. Well, I'm a cheater. Well, I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I'm a worrier. I have impulse issues. I have anger issues. I'm lazy. The list can go on and on. That's who I am. And God says, no, that's not who you are. When you face Christ and you ask him to come into your life, it transitions from you being known as your stronghold to you being known as the strong one. You're not Jacob anymore when you know Jesus. You are Israel. You are chosen. God is fighting for you. God is with you. You see, here's the deal. This is your second point of application. When God's, God wins, you win even when you lose. In order for God to win in your life, you have to accept, surrender, and lose. Because you can't win. And when he wins, you win. Jacob got beat. And when God won, and when Jacob submitted to that, Jacob won, and Jacob became Israel. And when we recognize that strongholds are there, and we say, God, take this. And, it's gonna, and guys, it's not going to be like this morning in this service. You're going to be like, God, take this. Look, you're going to do this every day sometimes. God, take this every day, every moment. Fight this battle within me because I'm not Jacob anymore. I'm Israel. You get that? 
you're not a deceiver anymore. You're not a cheater anymore. You're not an alcoholic anymore. You're not anxiety-ridden anymore. You're not depressed anymore. Even though you struggle with these things, you are Israel. You are God's chosen one. Do you get that? Don't you ever forget that. You are his. Those strongholds don't identify you. Your God does if you know Christ. That's the beautiful gospel that we have. You are no longer Jacob. You are Israel. What's your name now? Whose are you? One last thought. Verse 28, again. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans, and I've overcome. And I love what happens next. Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Isn't that God? Like, for real, you know what it is. Like, all of us were around here sometimes and like, man, that was just such a coincidence. Guys, when I read Scripture, there are no coincidences in life. There are divine appointments. And if God controls the atoms, atom, atoms in the universe on the other side of Pluto in every twinkling of every star, listen to me, there's no coincidences here. There's a God-appointed moment and God-appointed times and God doing something. You know what's happening. He just turned to us. Why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it is because I saw God face to face and my life was spared. I love that. It's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Here's the deal. Jacob transitioned from that moment from Jacob to Israel. And what happened is simply this. He saw his reflection. And in order to overcome the strongholds, you have to see the reflection that God gives you, not the reflection you give yourself. You have to see the reflection God gives you. You have to know that Christ is Christ and he's in your life. And when God looks at you, if you know Christ, he sees Jesus. That's your reflection. Just like that song we sang a few minutes ago. We're forever free because Christ has set us free. Do you get that? And the lies that we buy into, even as believers, when we go back and we look at our reflection, we call ourselves, I'm a liar still. And, and God is screaming, you know you're not. The stronghold, the stronghold is not you. Christ says, I'm in you. I'm the one that's overcome. I'm the one that's saving you. And guys, we're not going to give you exhaustive answers this morning. We don't have time to do that. But specific next steps for you this morning is first and foremost, turn to Jesus if you don't know him. Strongholds don't go away if you don't have a Savior to take them away. You get that? And the second thing is if you do know Jesus, here's the second part. The first step to overcoming strongholds, and we will talk about this for the next four weeks. You ready? You ready for the answer? Because some of you are like, well, I just need, I got to know. I got to find, it's, it's, here it is. It's repentance. Repentance is the first step towards healing. It's the first step to overcoming strongholds. It's saying, this is wrong. This is not right. This is not where I'm supposed to be. I want to turn and follow God. And repentance isn't just one step. It's daily, daily, daily. And then there's more stuff. It's getting with other believers and helping people, helping, having others help you walk through this. It's prayer. It's growth. And it's the one day hope that Christ is going to take us home and it's everything's going to be perfect and he will. But as you live here in your earth suit, understand this, is that repentance is the first step, but the second step is, is, is the church. It's the body of Christ helping you through this, working you through this, praying you through this, ministering to you and being gospel-centered. You've probably seen the movie called 12 Years a Slave. 
And it tells this true story of a guy named Solomon. Solomon, I'm going to try to remember his name correctly because I always mispronounce it. Northup. Solomon Northup. Solomon was born a free man in New England. And while on business in Washington, D.C., uh, prior to the Civil War, some slave traders came in, captured him, changed his name, and took him to Louisiana and sold him into slavery. Now, slavery was against the law to bring people from Africa and sell them. So one of the things that they would do is they would go into the north, they would capture these free slaves, change their names, and put them into slavery in, in, in the southern part of the United States. Just terrible, terrible things. The whole system was wrong. But for 12 years, Solomon, an educated man from New England, was just a regular old farmhand slave in the worst plantations in the nation in the heart of Louisiana. And while his name was Platt, his, given, his real name was Solomon. Solomon so far? 12 years, he finally convinced a carpenter from Canada to send a letter to a lawyer in the town. And the lawyer came from New England, Louisiana, and brought him out of slavery. And he gets home. He's there, his children are grown, his wife had been broken and missed him, and he is a broken and changed man. And I can think that while Solomon, his name as a slave was Platt, there's probably some days in his life after those 12 years as he grew older, my name's Platt, because that's what I've been. That's my stronghold, all those nightmares, all that trauma, all those issues. I'm Platt. His name's Solomon, a free man. Listen to me. Your name is not Jacob. Your name is Israel, if you know Jesus. Your name is not your stronghold. Your name is child of God. And when you're ready to work through these personal strongholds because you are the way you are, God begins to do something. But it takes work, it takes effort, it takes dependence. But you have to take the first step. And begin to experience that freedom. And to all that fear that we have to say, I can't do this. And these lies that we're told, we got to preach that to our brains and say, I am a liar. Because I, I'm a, that fear is a liar because I'm Israel. That, that, that deception is a lie because I'm, all that stuff, you have to put it to rest and say, now. I want to overcome that stronghold. So this morning, if you're ready to overcome some strongholds, I'm going to give you three steps. You ready? First one is this. You need to know Jesus. If you never ask Christ to come into your life, you'll never overcome it. And today, in order to find eternal salvation, that's the first step. The second step is repentance. For some of us who refuse to let things go, and we're letting our pain determine who we are, it's, it's the first step is saying, I need to stop this and turn around. And here's your third step. And third step is kind of multifaceted, so follow me on this. Because it's going to be a prolonged journey for some of you. But your third step is you need to get some help. It starts with prayer, and I'll be up here to my right, to your left, to pray with you, to help you begin to walk through that process. There's also a box on the Connect card that says, today I wanted a phone call from the pastor, and that will begin that process. And we want to get you some people to help you work through who you are so that you can experience that freedom. It's growth in the gospel, growth in the word, growth in prayer. But listen to me. The first step is that hard step, right? And let's begin that journey to experiencing the freedom that God has for us and declaring that fear that is in our life a liar and experience what it means to be Israel. God has chosen you and God is fighting for you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we ask God very specifically that you would change us. 
Some of us in this room are dealing with strongholds that are so difficult to comprehend because we are the way we are. God, we've, we have these impulse issues. We have these anger issues. We have these anxiety issues. We have these things, God. But, Lord, you've promised that you will deliver us. And so as we wrestle this morning and as we've wrestled in the past, I pray, God, that you'd begin to change. You begin to change us and make us. That you begin to overwhelm us and give us the light at the end of the tunnel. And when you look at us and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we're asked, what is our name? We are able to say, we're God's child. And so, Lord, begin to do that work in our lives. Begin to put that blessing in our lives and allow us to experience that freedom. Jesus, we honor you. We know you have the power to do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.